Hello and welcome to another episode of the Northern Art Podcast with me, Ant Cosgrove. Hope you are all doing very well indeed. I've been to various exhibitions since the last episode, including the Morris Wade Show in Stoke, which was discussed in the last podcast with Andy McCluskey. That episode, by the way, was listened to by people all over the world and was just brilliant to do. So if you haven't listened to it already, please check it out. I went back to Stoke a couple of weeks ago for the talk by Peter Davis on the Keel Arts Collection. I also checked out the Potteries Museum for the first time in a couple of years. They had several works on display by Lowry, some of which I'd not seen before as they were on loan from private collections. I went to see the David Nash and Robert Indiana show at Yorkshire Sculpture Park, the Zara Hussein show at Oldham Art Gallery, also the Hugh Winterbottom and Liz Ackerley show in Oldham too. I was at the excellent Radical Decades conference in Rochdale too a while ago, which was really cool. Um, I also visited the Whitworth in Manchester as I wanted to see the work there by Anya Paintsill. I went to Salford Museum and Art Gallery recently to see the current show of work by Geoffrey Key, Laura and Harold Riley. This is a must-see for fans of Northern Art and it's on until April 2023, so it's well worth checking it out. I enjoyed seeing some of the other works that have been interwoven with the exhibition. This included stuff by Joseph Herman, Brian Bradshaw, Sheila Fell, Trevor Grimshaw, Edgar Rowley-Smart and others too. I'm hopefully visiting the Hepworth soon to see the Sheila Hicks exhibition and the MERI show too. And finally, although I've probably missed a few, I visited the Peace Hall in Halifax to see a show for the artist that I will be speaking to today, so that leads nicely into my guest introduction. My guest today was born in London in 1963. She studied at the Royal Academy Schools from 1981 to 1984, where she was encouraged by Sir Hugh Casson, the then director of the Royal Academy, to develop her sculpture. At 17 she was a prodigious talent, and one of the youngest students to have ever entered the schools. She emerged into the contemporary art scene in the 1980s, and continued success places her amongst the most sensitive artists working today. Her artistic world is one of fantastical creatures, animals and hybrids, brought forth in Gloucestershire or France via drawings, prints, collage, mosaic or a multitude of sculptural processes. Human attributes may be found in some of her creatures. They are not just animals, but characters, conveying a possible infinite variety of emotion and narrative. She has said, I sculpt characters and beings. The dogs, the hares, the minotaurs are all characters beyond animal form. I am not interested in making a replica. Working big is an important aspect of her work, and she enjoys the constructional and creative challenges which flow from this aspiration. My guest is an absolute master of wire sculpture, a skill developed over her entire career. The large examples of these works are both breathtaking and intriguing. The entwined wires convey a strength and monumentality. Quite simply, they refuse to be ignored, yet at the same time are capable of conveying the most subtle gesture and emotion. In works which are cast in bronze, she may include what Marcel Duchamp would call ready-mades. Found objects like old machine parts, coins and children's toys seem to hybridise her characters even further and leave the viewer with more questions than answers. My guest has exhibited in public exhibitions around the world, including the UK, the USA, Canada, Ireland, Belgium and the Netherlands. Her work is in public and private collections all over too. Her 2022 exhibition at the Peace Hall in Halifax saw the installation of large sculptural works combined with charcoal drawings, bronze maquettes, wire drawings and ephemera. I managed to visit and thought that the large sculptures worked incredibly well in the more urban setting and the vast courtyard allowed you to fully walk around the work and view them from different aspects. I'm really looking forward to learning more today about her development as an artist as well as her processes and interests. We'll also discuss certain works and exhibitions too. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to my guest today, Sophie Ryder. Hi Sophie, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. 
Was that okay? Um, yeah, it's good. It's a really hot, sunny day here. And, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a it's gorgeous day today. So it's, very, it's very good. Have you been working today then? Have you been busy today? Yeah. Um, on the weekends, I tend to do things in the in the small studio or in my house. So things that don't make too much mess. Ah, right. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Because my work is quite um, physical and messy and <laughs> I have to be in the big studio when I'm doing my sculptures. So I tend to do tiny little maquettes in the house which I can I'm start, started using this um it's a kind of plasticine crossed with clay okay crossed with wax so it, it's very um clean it can be reused you don't have to wash your hands every five seconds because it you can cut it you can squash it and it's just reusable oh, right, okay. you know, so, so I've been using that to make maquettes in the house and um, I also do a lot of mosaics so I've been I can do those. I don't do the glass ones in the house because when you cut them, the glass shatters a bit. So I've got four dogs, so I don't want them treading in the of bits. Of course. But I'm using little um, marble pieces, and when you cut those, they don't shatter. They just break, but they don't have shards, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, I, I saw, I I saw to... you posting on uh, Instagram a few, um, just before the last bank holiday weekend. I think you said something like that you're excited because you had three days to do more mosaics yes. or something. It was quite, it was very yeah. funny, sort of tongue-in-cheek remark. It was very good. <laughs> well, I love it. When there's a bank holiday, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous. And everyone, <laughs> some people said, oh, well, shouldn't you be taking a break? But, you know, to me, <laughs> my work is taking a break. Yeah, um, that's it. I mean, when I'm not working and having to do sort of, you know, office stuff or, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think of that as working, really. Yeah, yeah. Of course it is. But for me, the enjoyable part is is actually making. Yeah. Well, one thing I I did want to say was um, with regards to like the whole pandemic in the last few years and and everything else, did that sort of impact your normal sort of working practice a lot in particular? Well, I mean, I couldn't go to the foundry, obviously, so I couldn't check on any of the bigger pieces. Yeah. Um, I had so many exhibitions lined up, which were all cancelled. Right. I mean, yes, it, it was rather upsetting that, you know, I had all these lovely shows planned and they couldn't happen, one of which was Peace Hall. and Yeah. Um, but because it was happening to everyone around the world, it kind of felt fine. didn't feel like. I didn't feel like it was because of anything I'd done. It didn't, you know, yeah. it was not a personal thing. Yeah, so there's nothing, just, literally nothing you can do, is there? It was just, nothing you could do. So yeah. it, you have to take it in your stride and there's no yeah. point getting depressed. I mean, it was happening to the whole world. It's pointless feeling sorry for yourself. Were you, were you able um, to so still I, work and produce everything? Oh, though? yeah. I mean, that's, I, I made loads of things. I mean, I'm going to have an exhibition in, um, in December, November, December time with all the, the work which sounds crazy because it's only just coming through the foundry because there was a lot of I made loads of small pieces right and um I have my own mold maker at home so she's been slowly molding them over the last year wow um so I've got probably about 15 small pieces that I haven't shown yet right um, so I'm going to keep them all so that I have can have a show of, of work that's all new Oh, that'll be good. Um, oh, excellent. Is yeah. that going to be in London? Is that what will that be? Yeah, that will be with my gallery in Mayfair, um, Hignall Gallery. Yeah. Um, who represent me in, in the UK. Yeah. That's and um, so, yeah. That oh, that's be... good. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, my introduction to your work came, I think, 
via the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. I know that you've got oh, links. Yes. You've got links, obviously, going back there for since like the nineteen eighty six, I think it is, which we can talk about a bit about that later. But a work that sort of has a personal connection to myself is I think it was I think it's from 2007 it's and it's the sitting sculpture which that you know the, the great oh, yeah. sculpture there at, at Yorkshire Sculpture yeah. Park um, and I mean I've been going like a long time to the sculpture park and I mean I, I must have seen that probably I think it was installed possibly in your 2008 show there that you had at the sculpture yes. park and that work yeah. is like because I go with like my family and my kids and everything my daughter was born in 2007 so I think she's probably Aww. seen that work her entire life before she can even remember and it's become like a, a bit of a destination work for us within the sculpture park because it is one of those ones that you just that we know is there and everybody goes yes. to see it and, and it's in a really good spot as well it's right next to the camellia house I think yes um so it's just sort yeah. of you know can you talk about that work or is there a sort of any significance with that particular yeah. piece? yeah well the piece um was one of the first very large well I say the first probably uh it was the second one I've ever made that has a split in it yes so the split happened because the first one I'd made that had a split like that I it hadn't been intentional so I'd made this massive open hand and obviously when you make big sculpture like that you have to make it in sections because you can't transport them and you can't get them into spaces or or on lorries or anything so they're all made in sections so when I went to put the hand together after I'd finished it, I, I positioned it to check it was in the right place and the, a gap formed in between the, the three sections. And I thought, actually, I really like that gap. So you could see the sky through it and you could see the yeah. sky moving through it. And so it kind of brought the piece to life. And I yeah. thought, that looks really cool. So I didn't ever put the hand together properly with without the gap. I always left a gap of a oh, few right. inches. Okay, I see. And then I thought, actually, it would be quite interesting to see what it would be like to leave a big enough gap to actually walk through yeah whether that could actually work with a figure without making the figure look oversized or you know strange so when I made sitting I tried it in the sections but obviously when you make a big sculpture like that it's kind of you have to think about safety you know of course yeah you can't just stand two huge sections without anything joining so then I had to work out how to join it together without having it actually joined all over so then I put some uh, rebar through the top. And yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I've seen that. Together. Yeah. And then, again, I really liked the aspect through the sculpture of being able to see the sky because yeah. it makes the sculpture feel alive, you know. And so I left it like that. Unfortunately, the one that's sitting at the sculpture park, they wanted to put the little fence around it because there are so many school children visiting there yes. that they said they're just going to climb all over it. So that there has to be something to say, do not climb. And signs don't work with little children. They're up straight away, you know. So it's good that they did it because it's been there now. uh, Is it 12 years? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been 2008, I think it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, so so it's still in great condition because it hasn't been. I mean, the rabbits have been living on it and things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Will will that stay there for... For pretty much per- well for as long as they- it's there I suppose hopefully you know yeah I mean, I mean you know I could easily take it away and put it somewhere else but no don't I, do that <laughs> I can't think of an, a nicer place you know I can't no. think of a better place for it to be it's funny because, it, like I say, I couldn't imagine it not being there. There was no. a tr- there was a tree in the churchyard, you know, the um, I Y Y. His that tree that was just in the sculpture park, 
um yeah that's gone now i think it's gone it, it, oh. i thought that was like there forever and because i saw it for so you know for oh. such a long period of time and then it's just gone i think he's moved it somewhere else um yeah. so yeah obviously these things people happen. often say um you know when they see the other piece that had been at the sculpture park crawling you know the yes, big bronze. of course yeah so people see it now and they and like it was in london for a, about six months in yeah. Berkeley square and they say wasn't that the one that was in Yorkshire? Was yeah. there still one in Yorkshire? You know, so, but um, the thing is that with the bronzes, you know, they cost a fortune to cast. Of course. So if I'd left that bronze at the Yorkshire Sculpture Park, I would have had to cast another one to be able to show it elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's a shame, but I think leaving one is 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 a nice. Yeah, no, it's a, it's good, and, and like I say, it's a bit of a it's a destination. It's one it's we always tick. It's like our tick got tick off box. We do a, a bit of a route around, yeah. and we always always see that one. And we we go three or four times a year to the sculpture park, so uh, so we love it there. You know, I absolutely love the sculpture park. No, um, it's fantastic. Oh, it's, I mean, I've had a long relationship with you. Have the you, yeah, park. it's been. I went there. The very first um, thing I did was I didn't know anything about the Yorkshire Sculpture Park when I graduated, and. Um, just after graduating, literally days after, I had a phone call on a landline. I remember it so vividly. I was working on a massive sculpture in my bedroom in my um, uh, basement flat in Holland Park. Yeah. And um, I got this phone call from Peter Murray. Didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, oh, hello, is that Sophie Ryder? And I said, yeah, speaking. And he said, um, oh, I've had, I got your number from Elizabeth Brink. She's put you forward for a three-month residency <laughs> at the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, oh. Liz Frink, I knew because she was my my brother's best friend was her son. Oh, right, okay. So, um, and I'd been to their house and everything. So, But I had no idea she'd put me forward for this, for this residency. Yeah. So I was thrilled, you know. It was really exciting. Um, so obviously I took it and um, went to live there for three months in a caravan <laughs> in the sculpture park in a field full of cows. <laughs> and um, it was the first summer that I'd ever spent the whole summer in England because I usually go to France for yeah. the summer because my mother's French. Yeah. And um, so I went to the sculpture park, did the three months, did took part in the Breton Menagerie exhibition and uh, made a a flock of small flock of sheep when I was there and a big horse called Son of York. And I called it the Son of York because whilst I was making it, uh, Henry Moore died. Right. And he was born in York. So of course, I, yeah. I called it the Son of York. Oh, right. And um, sadly, he, I'd been to have lunch with Elizabeth Frank two weeks before he died. I'd gone around up to Dor- down to Dorset. But anyway. Um, and she, we were going to go there for Sunday lunch. We were going to go to wow. his house, and two weeks before going, he died. So it was wow. really sad. That's all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I've been to his place, but I'd never met him. So yeah. I was a bit sad about that. And amazing then, that you knew Frink, though. It's amazing that you knew Elizabeth Frink. That's uh, yeah, yeah. I used to know. go and stay there. I used to stay the weekend with her. Did you? Because wow. When my, my brother died when he was twenty-three, and so I became friends with. I already had a, a crush on on Lau, her son, and um, and so I used to go there and stay the weekend. And then right. when I got married, I still used to go and see her. Yeah, yeah. But then then I had the exhibition in 1991 as well. 
Yeah. In um, the Yorkshire Sculpture Park in the Boffig Gardens yeah. Gallery. And then again in 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a brilliant sort of relationship there, isn't it, with the uh, with yeah. the sculpture park? I think. Uh, I mean, it's a it's an amazing place, anyway. I mean, I think it's was it oh, in the seventies? I think it started in the seventies. I think originally. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's it's been. But the way it's, it's been, developed, it's just. Oh, now, I mean, now now with with all the new buildings and the new gallery spaces, and I don't think there's an artist in the world who wouldn't want to show there. <laughs> you know, it's at no, that level. No. It's just it's uh, no, it's, it's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the Yorkshire itself as well, with with the uh, with the Hepworth as well. Um, you know, the Hepworth Gallery. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's that is a, that is actually a genuinely. I mean, I think about it in the north of England. That is a truly world class venue. You know, in the north yeah. of England, it's, there's not that many yeah. in the north necessarily, but it is actually a world class sort of gallery. That um, oh, definitely. You know, they I have mean, some... and now Peter Peter Murray has now retired. Retired, sadly. yeah, just retired, doesn't he? But but Claire Lilly, who who's always been working with him, yeah, you're going to start hearing the dogs moaning now because it's ten minutes. You've got ten minutes to go, dogs. It's, not <laughs> it's, it's, not it's okay. Yet. <laughs> I know you she's like so, <laughs> Elsie. She's fourteen and she's so bossy. Tells me when it's it's not even five o'clock yet. It's ten two. Um. So Claire Lilly's taking over now, and she's obviously she's been working alongside peter for years so yeah it will be a very easy transition and be That's really right. exciting to see what she does what happens you know yeah. because obviously she's going to have slightly different tastes and different yeah ideas so be i mean it's got to a such a high level now as a venue i mean it's um i mean i can't I, sometimes i speak to people and i say oh you got this and they've never been and i'm like what are you doing how can you've never been i know <laughs> and people who live up north i know they're think, crazy why I mean, it's would literally, you it's less than there? an hour from where i am it's like you know it's um it's insane but um what we'll do now is sophie if it's okay i was gonna go back to the beginning if you like if that's if that's possible yeah. we start talking about sort of your early life um, you yeah. know, from what I've, what I've read and, and whatnot, and I know that you were born in London, and you, as you mentioned before, your mother was your mother's French, and, you, and, you, and your dad was an English dad who owned and edited the uh, Fleet Street Letter. Um, was it yeah. quite a creative household then, when you were, you know, from being a you know, young kid? Yeah, I mean, my my brother was um, was a sculptor, so he went to Chelsea. He was a sculptor and a musician, right? Um, so yeah, he was artistic. My my sister, one of my sisters, was and. My mother used to buy old jewellery and rework it and, and turn it into something new. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my grandfather was very artistic. In fact, he was friends with Bonnard. And oh, he used wow. to always tell us this story about how, because he lived in Paris, just near the Eiffel Tower. Literally, they were really close buddies, you know. And he used to say that Bonnard always used to say to him, Francis, you should come over and, and take a few paintings you know help yourself take the ones you like he always used to tell us this story and he never did oh and no stop telling us that story because it's not funny anymore <laughs> oh that's very but good I he like was that. he was amazing he yeah. he used to tell the most incredible stories my grandfather he was he only had one leg so he was in a right. wheelchair right he he didn't lose it in the war which we all thought he did. I only found out when I was about twelve that actually he lost it in a in a car accident. Right. Um, but he was an amazing man. He told us the most incredible stories that yeah. were just so believable and just. I'm sure that's where my ideas for mythological creatures came from. Is it right? Because yeah, he was just amazing at storytelling. We'd sit 
with him on his lap for hours and hours listening right. to these stories that he'd tell. And he had this, um, he had a pet magpie and it used to pick, stand on his head, on his shoulder and pick the one or two hairs he had left on the top of his head and steal <laughs> things and hide things from us. And Wow. Yeah. So this was that your mother's dad then? Was that your mother's dad? Yeah. So he was obviously yeah, so French. He, he was a French. Sorry, he was a French. Yeah, he was French. French. Yeah, right. Okay. French. He was um he was the head of the resistance in the south of France. Wow. And um, he's quite high up. You know, he had code name Olive, and he was very decorated by De Gaulle. Right. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I know you were, um, I've, I read that you, you did jewellery classes, didn't you, quite young? Was that, yeah, was that from, so my mother, mother took me to jewellery on Saturday mornings, which is when I got the, the sort of bug for working with wire. Yeah. And um, I mean, that was a good decision, wasn't it, for, <laughs> for to take you to that yeah. class? <laughs> that yeah, worked out no, well. Yeah, great. <laughs> and um, copper wire and gold wire we used. You actually still remember that? You still vaguely remember that happening? Oh, I totally remember it. Do you? I remember right. being fascinated by the wire because um, you're only about five weren't you five or six you were very young yeah very time. little very little right and then when I was about 15 I had a friend in the south of France who was making a scarecrow I oh, no, sorry I'm talking rubbish he was making a wire fence fence yeah and I started making him a scarecrow <laughs> um, for his vegetable patch and that's when I started working with the wire properly and getting really into it yeah, yeah. back then they were much more like drawings in space they were Okay. They were they were three dimensional, but very very linear. Right. So they weren't they weren't solid at all. Right. And then gradually over the years they became more and more solid. They evolved. And then yeah. there were times when I went back to doing more like drawings, and then I started doing the wire drawings, which which are very solid but two dimensional. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so seeing, I love those the, the ones with the eyes and things. I've I've, I've seen. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. So they can you can get some amazingly deep contrasts and yeah they look they look flat but actually in places they're a couple of inches thick all ah, right okay so, so yeah, to yeah. get the real depth of the dark bits and you know. yeah they i love them they're, they're brilliant and so obviously like you say you spent a lot of time in france then and you and you continue to do that don't you you sort of you go to france quite, yeah i go quite a lot. every year yeah i have a house there and a studio so i it seems bonkers when the weather's so lovely here but the thing is about going there for the summer is that a, I have a swimming pool, which if okay. I had a swimming pool here, and I swim every day when yeah. I'm in England, but obviously I go to the public pool. Yeah. But the thing is about having a pool in England is that you have to heat it because yeah. it's never really going to be warm enough for long enough to That's keep true. it warm. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And secondly, it's just, you know, in France, you're guaranteed a summer. Of course. Every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it might rain one day out of three months. Where, whereabouts in France is it that you go? It's in Provence. Oh, it's Provence, in, oh, lovely. It, yeah, it's right in the middle, in between the mountains and the sea, and very nice. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you go there. You go there for a few months a year. Do you spend a few? You spend yeah, literally the summer yeah. there. Yeah, that's the. Summer, yeah. That, yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. That's uh, that's brilliant. Um, so Sophie, I believe that when you was a child, you spent some time in hospital um, with possible yeah. leukemia. Is that sort of is that right? And and how old were you then yeah, at that yeah. time? Then were you? I was just. I wasn't quite five. Wow. I was okay. About four. Um, right. So I spent a year in hospital. Um, it was suspected leukemia, so it was called thrombocytopenia. Right. I can never say it. Thrombocytopenia. Cooper or something ridiculous. Right. <laughs> 
it was um, all the symptoms were the same, so that's why they thought I had it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I had a bone marrow transplant, and um, and I was okay. And you, did you do your drawing there? Then did you do like a lot of drawing? I, I used to draw all day long. Did and, you? Um, yeah, I filled up. I filled up books, and I just, I used to tear off the drawings and put them all over the walls in my in my room. <laughs> one of the hospitals I was at the hospital when they found out I had because I actually went into hospital to have my tonsils and adenoids removed and that's when I um they realized that I had this thing all right um so in the first hospital I was in I was in an isolation room for several months and so I just drew and drew and drew and covered the walls in, in drawings obsessively yeah, no. I, I told I told a friend about that. I said I was saying about um about about you know I was just saying that you went you spent time in hospital and she said oh it reminds me of Frida Kahlo when she went to hospital and she was like doing all these drawings. I was like oh right okay yeah it's quite okay okay I can see what you where you're coming from with that. Um, yeah, so, it was just I it's just there was nothing else to do from yeah. start. There were no televisions, no nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, now a child would be in there with a mobile phone or something or television at least. Absolutely. But um, yeah, it's the only option. You either read books or you did drawings. Did drawing. Well, I mean, obviously it worked out well doing it, you know, all fed into your, the the person that you became. Um, So your education then as a child, this is pre sort of Kingston stuff, like your like young sort of schooling. How did that sort of go? You know, as a, well then, I didn't go to school quite at the same time as everybody else because I was in hospital for um, until I was just over five. But then I stayed at home with a nanny for a bit because I was still quite poorly. Okay. And I didn't want to go to school. I absolutely didn't want to go to school. So they couldn't get me to go. So I stayed at home. And then eventually I went to a little primary school in um, called St. Mary's, a little Catholic school, which I hated. The nuns were horrible to me because I was quite a naughty girl, I think. Well, I was very um, outspoken, so they didn't let me get away with anything. Uh, My sisters were so well behaved and did everything they were told. I eventually got expelled and and then I went to um, a school in Chiswick, Chiswick Comprehensive. Right. Where I got really badly bullied and... um, told my mother when I turned 15, I said, if you don't take me away from this school, I'm going to um, walk out on my own. So she took me. No, I said, if you don't take me out of this school, I won't pass any of my exams um, and I I won't be able to go to art school. So she um, took me out that day after I'd been covered in eggs and flour. And (laughs) it was quite horrific. And um, she put me into a crammer in... um, um, Marylebone High Street, right? And I did all my geez, all my O levels and A levels in one year when I was fifteen. Wow! And um, went straight to Kingston to do a foundation course. Right. Okay. And so then from there, I went. I applied for the academy, and they said no because no. Before I went to the foundation course, after I'd done my A levels, um, I went to the academy, and they said no, you can't come here just straight from doing that you have to go go and do a foundation to decide whether you want to do sculpture or um, painting yeah so I went off and did the year at Kingston 
came back and said, I want to do sculpture and painting. And they said, well, you, we only have an MA in sculpture. You can do a degree in painting. And I said, right. okay, and whatever. Um, but I still spent a lot of the time doing sculpture when I was on the painting course. I actually only did one painting. Did you? The rest of the time I was drawing or making sculpture. Yeah. But when I when I went there with, after my year at Kingston, they said, oh, well, you're too young because we only take people, you know, you know, 20 odd years old and I was only 17. And I said, but I did everything you said. I went off. I did my A-levels. I went to do a foundation course. And now I've come back and he said, well, bring me your portfolio tomorrow and I'll see. So I did. And he said, okay, you can come after Easter. And hmm. um, he said, it was Sir Hugh Casson then. The yes. The schools. And he said, um, we normally only take six a year for the first year. So, but this year we'll have seven. So, That's how. What was it like then? At the, at the, did you learn, did well, you learn a lot? Did you, sort of, did you enjoy your time there? I loved it because it, you were allowed to just do art for all day long. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. All the materials were free. Yeah. I got a grant to go there. Yeah. I got a full grant um, scholarship, whatever they call it now. Yeah. Um, I used to get there at eight o'clock in the morning. I was always the first. I had right. a big lurcher dog who um, they didn't let dogs in at the time, except that the guy at the gate, what they called the guard, you know, the Porter, Porter yeah. had a big Alsatian and he was married to the print um, assistant. So they had this big Alsatian and they they couldn't really tell me I couldn't bring my dog in because they brought theirs in. So I said, well, he's going to be my model. So then I did loads of drawings of him, which is when I started drawing dogs. And, um, and then he used to just come in with me every day. So I'd be in there from eight in the morning um, take the right. dog for a walk at lunchtime and then leave at eight o'clock in the evening. Yeah, yeah. And so I was first there and last out. That's amazing. Are you and, were, sorry, go on. Sorry, go, you go ahead. No, I was going to say you. So you you were literally the youngest. Um, you were one of the youngest ever students, weren't you, to be to be accepted into yeah. the Royal Is that right? Is that sort of read? So the the youngest. Um, well, yeah, the one before me was Turner was <laughs> seventeen when he went there too. <laughs> so yeah, there, was, there hasn't been another one of. As but, not. Um, I worked. I worked hard, so they, yeah. you know, they didn't have any reason. No, no. To complain, I no. worked really hard. I loved no. it there because, you know, as I said, you had a huge studio space and yeah, yeah, endless materials. People would help you do different things. I loved printmaking. Yeah. So I had a lot of help with that, mm. and um, you know, it was a kind of printmaking to me was like halfway between two-dimensional and three-dimensional okay. because it was quite physical and because you could get different textures in the paper and lo I love that. And yeah, yeah. Print tutors there were fantastic. Right. Um, I mean, I did do some drawing, but I ended up modelling because sometimes the model wouldn't turn up. So I'd, I remember having to model for the other students. <laughs> and then I found out that, well, I was told off because they said students aren't allowed to model because it was nude modelling and they said, you know, students aren't allowed to model for the other students and right. because we're not allowed to pay students. So it was a kind of rule. So I said, yeah, well, I'm yeah. not doing it for free. No, no. <laughs> so <I stopped. laughs> 
But, of course. Um, they had this amazing drawing studio. You know, the drawing room was really old fashioned, just how you imagine an old drawing of studio course, yeah, at the yeah. Royal Academy would be. Yeah. Right. So after the Royal um, Academy, what did you then do straight after that? Was that was you, uh, you you had a residency, I think, at Grisdale Sculpture Park? Is that right? Is that something that you did sort of soon after? Yeah. So, so sorry, I'm going to look through my biography because I can <laughs> okay. never remember when things happened. <laughs> so after the academy, um, well, immediately afterwards, whilst I was still there, in fact, I was invited to exhibit at a gallery in Cork Street, right, which was just next to the academy, um, Edward Tota Gallery. Um, which was great, you know, it's like, wow, come out of art school and go straight into a, a <laughs> t- top London Mayfair gallery, you know. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, I did so well with him immediately. He took my work to the Zurich Art Fair and he sold everything out. He said, I sold it all within 10 minutes. In fact, he said, I sold it all before the opening and then had to make out I'd sold it in the first 10 minutes because they weren't allowed to sell it before the opening. Oh, right. Okay. And, um, <laughs> So he, yeah, that did really well. And then, unfortunately, he died. Oh wow! Right. Um, oh, wow. Of a heart attack. So right. that was an upsetting. Uh, and having been like so excited about everything, and yeah. that was pretty horrible. Um, and then I started showing with um, Berkeley Square Gallery, which then became Osborne Samuel. Ah, right. And they were also in uh, in Bruton Street in London. And then, um, yeah, I had I had the. Grisdale Forest. I went there a few times. Um, Forest of Dean. Yeah. Um, did loads of residencies. You've done um, loads, haven't you? You went. You at Salisbury yeah. Cathedral as well was another one, wasn't it? Was that Salisbury was that... Cathedral? Yeah, that was um, quite a big so one. So residencies. Then, when I was working, then I was doing things in Wire and in um, Wicker. Right. So um, because I was working on site, I had to use obviously something that I could use outside and. So, yeah, I was using lots of different materials. Um, I made a wicker stag, um, which stayed, unfortunately, caused loads of accidents at Grisdale because um, it was not far off the road. So people kept shooting at it. And also um, cars would sort of screech to a halt um, because <laughs> they'd see this massive stag and then oh, no. cars would fly into the back of each other. And Oh, my God. Anyway, but that, that was... That was amazing working in Grisdale. Yeah. Um, I did several pieces there. In fact, one of them is still there and nobody knows because I, ah. I hid it. So I'm just waiting for people to contact me and say, but they might not know it's mine because it's got no signs and it's made of concrete and it's got moss growing all over it. And it's what, is it an animal? Horse. Yeah, it's a life-size horse. Oh, wow. And Oh, and nobody knows where it I, is. I, I did go up. I went up um, because David Nash had a sort of little show that I showed there not too long ago, and I went up to see that yeah. um, after speaking yeah. with him. But it's, it's good, Grisdale, and um, yeah, yeah I, I quite like it. There. That's, uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, worked there. Um, stayed there, worked there. Fantastic. Oh, when was that? I can't even. I have, can't find the page with all those. Let me have a look. It's a long time ago. Yeah, um, a while ago. But that was when early eighties, um, maybe was it? Not early eighties. Yeah, it would have been mid mid eighties. Yeah, there was someone doing, um, it was 1986. Yeah, 86, okay. And the one in Forest of Dean was 88, Salisbury 87. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, there are loads. I mean, I've seen a lot um, of the work at that time. Um, you were, you know, there's a lot of animals and, and obviously your interest in animals is like kind of legendary and you sort of, you know, your passion for animals is, is obviously there. But I have seen even, yeah. I've seen online a work from like 1979, which was pre, obviously even sort of the, edu- you know, education and sort of going to the Royal College, which was, which was sheep, I think it was, I think. So you were doing stuff like even before then, weren't you? You were still working in, in sort of, you know, in sculpture and stuff all the way through, you know, your career. Oh, really. yeah. No. I mean, I did when I so when I um did the residency at the sculpture park. Yeah. Um, the first time I went there, when was that? Arthur Resident. Uh, yeah, nineteen eighty six. Yeah. As well. Um, so I made a small flock of sheep, and then I kind of liked the idea of having a whole group of things. So I'm, I'm always interested in in sort of the interaction between different figures. And it just seemed kind of like a great idea to make this whole flock of sheep. Yeah. <laughs> there were 35 of them. Wow. So I we just bought this property that I'm living still in now, 32 years later. And I made a whole flock of sheep. And Peter Murray came up one day and said, oh, I've got to show those at, at Sculpture Park. So that's when I had my show there in 1991. Yeah. That's, uh, no, it's it's good. Um, and what um what was going to start doing now is in starting to talk about some of the actual specific you know the works themselves. I know, like I say, the early work was perhaps more directly figurative, perhaps with regards to the sheep and the and the animals. And you mentioned the stags and things like that. When did the actual move towards the sort of more reoccurring characters, which obviously you know the the the, the initial one, I believe, I think was the was the Minotaur. Um, when did that sort of happen? When and and I believe that Picasso was an influence through the you know through the yeah. references in that way. But how did that was that sort of something that was going on in your mind all the way through your career? This sort of interest Absolutely. in um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I did Greek mythology at school, right? So I was okay. interested in in the Minotaur. Um, Picasso's Minotaur, I found a little bit threatening. Yeah, um, and I feel like. My Minotaur is much more camp, kind of. He's a little bit camp sometimes. He's quite, he's quite muscly, but he he was definitely a cross between a bull and a yeah um, a man. But he had hooves, and now he has hands. You know, so yeah. he's changed a lot over the years. Um, and the very first one I made was a Minotaur sniffing a daisy. He was about right. eight feet tall. I made it in my flat in London, and I'd never made a big, big piece before. Wow. I had no idea about how to make a sculpture. <laughs> so it, the whole thing collapsed because it didn't have an armature. That's when I realized I had to learn how to weld and make frames <laughs> because <laughs> sculpture won't stand without it. I've had a few things like that happen to me over the years. Where the, right. Like with crawling, I made crawling, and after about three months of working on her, the weight of the plaster just brought her down on top of me so there's like tons of plaster just buried me (laughs) and I remember feeling so depressed that I mean so many times sculptures have collapsed on not literally on me but have collapsed as well um and I just you just have to get right back in there yeah I mean I guess what do you do when you come in you're coming in the morning like after working on it and then it's collapsed like overnight and things like that that sort of happened oh so depressing yeah but you just you just have on. to get on and start again. They can't. I never forget one piece that's been a, a recurring theme is my hugging, a bit like this mosaic behind me. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's um, that's lovely. So, sort of not that actual stance, but yeah. a minotaur and a lady here. And I made this little maquette, and um, I'd spent 
months on it. It was a really complicated piece because there were lots of bits in between. The figures were really difficult to get to. And I'd, oh, I'd worked on it for so long. It's about 60 centimeters tall. Yeah. And I called my girl, who Charlie, who works for me, who's worked for me for such a long time, who makes all my molds. I called her over from the other studio on the intercom and said, you've got to come and get it now because I'm just, I can't stop. And I've, I need, you need to take it away from me because I won't stop working on it. <laughs> and as I was talking, there was this loud bang, crash, bang. And the turntable that I'd been working on, the pin had come out. Oh, no. And the whole thing collapsed and the, the plaster just thumped down to the ground. And coll- literally, it was like a powder puff. It just... Yeah, pushed yeah. into a hundred pieces. Yeah. Oh my God! She said, "What was that noise?" And I said, "That was the sculpture. It's gone. It's oh, in a no. hundred pieces." And I remember oh. I just had to start again, and I tried to put it back together, and I just worked on it solidly for three weeks, about yeah. sixteen hours every day. I was just God until it was done. I wasn't going to be happy. Yeah. But it turned out to be one of my really best pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think I love the wire your your technique with wire, especially which is something that stayed with you throughout your entire career. Um, and yeah, and it's just in, it, you have you, you've worn your fingers to the point that you don't have fingerprints. Is that right? Is that no? I don't. I've... When I go to America, well, especially when I used to go because I used to do loads of wire sculpture. Um, sorry about the noise. It's just my mosaic pieces falling onto the top. Um, <laughs> You can't stop working, can you? No, I can't. I can't sit still and just talk. (laughs) I have to be doing something. So um, when I used to go to America, they used to make me do my fingerprints three times because um, they just couldn't read them. And they'd say, press harder. Then they'd grab my hand and squash my other fingers. And they really, really (laughs) just just didn't believe that I didn't have any fingerprints. Right. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, I, I... just develop this way of working with the wire yeah i mean it's been a long process and yeah, yeah i mean it's one consuming. of the sort of it's i love the wire pieces i think they're um they're just incredible i think that they are there's something about the sort of the actual material um this, yeah. this sort of you know it's, it's itself it seems to work so well you know it's just the fantastic yeah. things um i do sort of you know they do sort of mean a lot to me when i see them um and then, so obviously we talked about the Minotaur um, and the origins of that work and, and, and whatnot. And then you decided to create another character, if you like, to sort of like sit alongside the Minotaur, which is which was Lady Hair, which I think yeah. I, which is possibly maybe your most famous sort of um, character, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, um, how yeah. did it sort so, of start? How did that, what was the well, development of that? she's my character, whereas the Minotaur, you know, is an iconic yeah. um, piece that, from my um, Picasso and of course yes yes lady hair is completely yours yes (laughs) yeah so I invented the lady hair and I basically I was looking for a a female um female to go with my minotaur that was half animal and half human yeah and the hair head just seemed to work so well with the with the female body because because of the ears and the I don't know it just it just worked and it to me, I look at my sculpture now and I don't even see the hair head. I just see a female person's right. body, you know, because yeah, yeah. she's totally, without the head, she's totally human and the head is a mask. So at first, like with pieces like the Minotaur and Hair on the Bench, the lady was actually a, mostly animal. She was a hair, really. Uh, just like the Minotaur started off being much more bull than man. That's right. She's now human with a, with a mask. So they're both wearing masks now. 
yeah. they've become totally human and the mask is just so that they can still be who they can be anybody they can be the person who's looking at them you know people can imagine themselves as a yeah. couple and the mask just allows me to express different emotions without it being too sexual or too yeah, yeah. odd you know watching these strange positions it's much more acceptable when it's an animal head yeah. and also it Inevitably, if I was making um, a female body with a, a human head, they'd all end up looking like me, I should imagine. Um, <laughs> so I didn't want that. I didn't want them to be portraits. Very often you see artists who do f- uh, figurative work yeah. and all their humans look the same and they usually look like them. And I want I want people to be able to see themselves in my work or imagine them as being somebody they know or, you know, I don't want them to be a portrait yeah excellent that's excellent i love yeah. that sophie i really like that yeah. because certainly with the earlier work i think you've got a work um, which is a bench which is a minotaur and the hair on a bench and they are very much more like the, uh, the animals themselves aren't they the hair yeah the hair that was one and... of the first that was one of the first pieces with them together yeah and then i yeah so they and also when you know like a lot of the work at um halifax at, P, at the peace hall actually yeah is quite early work so that piece um the dancing hairs those are all completely animal the dancing yes. hairs but then yes. crawling lady hair she's completely human yeah yeah and people look at her and they they call her a big bunny and it's quite funny just <laughs> it's funny because she's not she's totally human yeah um i mean but, i think it's i think they're brilliant i mean I've, I've written here i've just made a note here that um with regards to the to the um, the possible, you know, is possibly human in a hair mask, which obviously you've just confirmed, um, and then yeah. and, and then I was sort of talking about the mas- masks as a psychological element with masks, and, and as well as being sort of part of ancient iconography, and then there's so much symbolism that comes with wearing masks, and and you know there's so much psychological that we have we we wear masks as individuals when we're, you know there's sort of yeah. so much so many connotations that have, that come from wearing from masks anyway. Um, it sort yeah, of it works really well. With work. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. God, yeah. In the last couple of years, we've not had them off, have we? <laughs> no. And the most amazing thing is um, when you think about the little children who've grown up. Yeah. Like my granddaughter is in in Italy, and they're still wearing masks in Italy. Oh, are they? Right. And and my granddaughter has grown up only seeing people with masks on, and you just think, and you can, I can tell the difference because. Yeah. I have two grandchildren here who are a little bit older and so they've seen you know people without masks but a little girl living in a city watching people walking around with masks on I think it's very difficult for them to now understand people's facial expressions you know because they that can't see crazy. anything so they can't read what people are, yeah. are saying whereas children could pick up language much more easily because of course you see. they half of it is is the way you express yourself, the way you move mm. your face, and and not being able to see that, I think it's making this, you know, this generation of children not speak as well. That's really interesting. Not- That's really interesting because, of course, the human the human brain is sort of pre 
pre-made it's pre-built to to accept yeah. like you say certainly language but also this yeah, yeah this facial distinctions that's, that's, that's yeah. how we are as, as animals as creatures ourselves and that's sort of yeah. how and that's uh, that's really interesting yeah you're quite right that i never I never sort of give it much thought of that but yeah the fact that people have not been able to look you know young young babies and things like that i've never actually sort of seen not the expressions seen. of people that's no. interesting yeah that's that's quite so interesting. i've noticed the difference i mean obviously she's being brought up bilingual so she's you know speaking yeah. english and italian but i still think there's something different you know there's something different with her the way she looks she looks at you now when you talk to her she doesn't just listen she'll look at you to yes. try and see what you're saying because yeah. you know she's only three and a half so she doesn't always understand everything so she'll really look at you to yeah, understand yeah. what you're saying uh-huh. it is quite but yeah. um yeah so the masks have become much even more sort of yeah yeah I, 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 I get it yeah i mean um yeah. the other sort of thing that you do as well a lot of um obviously uh, uh, your dogs you do, you know you, uh, uh, the dogs themselves so like, i'm assuming that they're based on your own your own pack i guess Is yeah so? <laughs> i have four wickets two of them are crossed with um lurchers and two of them are crossed with um, italian greyhounds ah, right. they're very small they're quite little ones you know um and they're just always with me 24 hours a day oh, and they are just my they're my babies yeah, yeah. i'm completely obsessed with them i mean I'm, I'm a completely bonkers mad dog lady i have to admit <laughs> i can't be without them i worry about them when i go to italy or wherever yeah, i yeah. travel for work i oh. just even if someone really competent is looking after them i i worry about them just being upset especially one of them who's 14 i worry about 14 him. that's a good age have you have you always had them then have you always had sort of dogs have you sort yeah of- so i used to i used to have um i used to that sounds awful i don't even want to admit to this but i used <laughs> to breed one litter from a bitch okay and then have her have her um neutered yeah or spayed or whatever you call it um and then i'd keep one bitch and then five years later i'd let her have a litter yeah 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 but then I started supporting all these dog charities and especially the greyhounds in Spain. And I'd sell sculpture and give them the proceeds. Um, and I thought, God, this feels really wrong to be breeding dogs when there are so many dogs who need homes. Of course, yeah. Um, so I've stopped now. So my last bitch, who's now, she's now eight, she, she didn't have a litter. And I feel kind of mean because I always used to think that it was important for a bitch to have puppies yeah. because they could get kind of bitchy but actually and also get like get sick right and then i found out that actually the reason i thought that dogs got ill from not breathing is is not nothing to do with the fact that they hadn't had a litter it's to do with the fact that people are supposed to have them spayed when when whether they have finished breathing yes yes whatever it. they're supposed to have their wound mm. removed because it can get infected and that's why yeah uh bitches get sick if they're not they don't have that done yeah 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 that's, no, so, that's interesting. Uh, my wife works at a vet so i'm sure she could have a big discussion with you about it um yeah but, but yeah. lots of people don't know that but you no. know even when, when they have finished breeding which i i would never wanted to breed from a bitch and under the, uh, over the age of six i think that's wrong to do a first litter okay but yeah, you love you, you love your dogs. Story. I've seen some very good videos on Instagram them. of your dogs jumping up, up, up yeah. chasing after squirrels oh and things like that. They are. They're also my dogs are vegan like me. So people, right. some people think shock horror. You know, dogs shouldn't be vegan, but they're the healthiest dogs you've ever seen, as you can see from that video. Oh, that video! How high does that dog jump? I couldn't. Oh, believe it. that's twenty feet tall. That sculpture is it? Gosh, it's there was like a squirrel sitting in ridiculous. the top inside it. 
Right. And they just all went nuts. They're such hunters. <laughs> it's a nightmare trying to keep those dogs. I, um, I, I love your uh, I love your drawings of the do- of the dogs. They're very sort of they have a, they're sort of very tender and they're very nice. And um, I, I think whippets. They seem to, artists like whippets, don't they? I think it's not yeah, just yourself. It seems to be a thing it's with because, whippets. Well, I think one of the reasons is they're not hairy, so you can okay. really see their shape. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. you can see their shape. They're very very muscly. Very you can see their ribs. You can you know there's a lot to look at. Whereas yeah. a fluffy dog, you're just going to be drawing fluff. Yeah, of course. Um, but they're also so agile and they're moving all the time. So you know, they run and they so there's a lot to they don't they they sleep quite a bit as well, whippets, I believe. Oh yeah. Well they're like they're quite yeah, they like they got very active when they're out and about, but then they just like lounging around, don't they? They, They're the laziest dogs in the world. (laughs) If you didn't take them out, they wouldn't mind. I mean, when you do take them out. They go crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. it. Because Lucy and Freud used to have them, didn't he? I think he had a, he had yeah. a whippet. He did, yeah. Yeah. I think but they are such beautiful dogs. I mean, yeah, once you've had a whippet, you couldn't have another dog, really. Right. Any <laughs> any sight hound is amazing, but I I love them. And yeah. Yeah. For me, another... they're the only kind of dogs I want to draw. Yeah, you do draw a lot, um, don't you? You sort of like you, yeah. you draw. Is it is it drawing that you do from life? But then, do you also draw from your imagination as well when you're creating? Obviously, the the works, um, the the minotaurs and and whatnot. And yeah, sort of, when you know, I draw the minotaurs and lady hairs, I do do that. From well, my head. Oh, sorry, that was a I really don't... bad question. <laughs> 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 I don't know what goes on in your house. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> no, I do. I do them from the imagination. Of, but um, the dog. Well, it's your own body. Enough. It's your own body. I believe. Leave the, the, yeah, the no. I, I a lot of the time my daughter used to model for me. All right, okay. Um, now she's in Italy, so um, the other daughter won't model for me. So, the thing is, once you've been drawing something your whole life, you kind of don't need anyone to model for you anymore. You because I know it so well, yeah. you know, the human body and the dogs and everything. I don't really need them anymore. But right. a few years ago, I did portraits of the dogs, which is so unlike me because I never do. And people were saying, oh, can we do what? Can you do our dog? <laughs> I wouldn't be able to. Right. Firstly, I did them because they're the dogs I like drawing. But secondly, I know them and love them. And that's how I can draw them so you know, tenderly because I know their souls. Yeah, yeah. And that's why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I do work from life with them. Of course, yeah. Sometimes. Um... The other work I was going to talk to you about is um, the work with that you use with plaster. Um, does that sort of give different sort of opportunities than when, when you're working with wire? Because obviously you you incorporate objects, don't you, into the plaster, which are then yeah. cast in bronze. And is that sort of is it is it more is it more tactile when you're making stuff? Is it sort of is it different than when you it's a it's a process of putting on plaster and taking it off. I I spend as much time hammering away as I do putting it on. Right. So um, most artists work building up, building up, building up. But I spend most of the time, as I say, just building up, knocking it off, adding some bits. Then I finish the whole thing. Then I add more bits. And I, I've i never liked the texture of bronze as such, you know, the smooth texture of bronze. Yeah. So that's why I've always worked to make my bronzes have more texture. Of course. I, yeah. I find them more tactile. I, when I first started doing the bronzes, I was totally against it, but um, and I was being kind of encouraged by my galleries to to do bronzes because they can sell more of them, obviously. Um, 
and I thought, no, that's so commercial. I don't want anything to do with it. I, yeah, it's yeah. horrible and smooth and old fashioned and you know dark green and brown bronzes. I didn't yeah. want anything to do with it. So I thought, well, if I can do it in a way that mimics my wire sculpture, maybe I will give it a go. So I, that's when I started sort of making the wire sculpture and then filling them with plaster and right. so that they ended up having a really you know deep textures and yeah. Yeah, and I know, yeah. and, I, and like you say, like I say, you you add things to them, don't you, as well, and you put objects in, which is yeah, very I put objects in. A lot of the time, that's for texture, but also sometimes it's relevant to that particular time. Yeah, um, I write things in it too. I put graffiti on before the Do public you? graffiti them. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, that's interesting. I, no, that's interesting. I, I love the yeah, I love those works, and and um, well, I mean, I'll talk to you about the uh, the, the show at the, at the end, maybe about the Halifax show in particular. But um, but yeah, yeah, obviously, people sort of you could see people's interest in those particular works and finding the objects, and and sort of the excitement of children, especially finding the objects. Yeah, well, um, that's, that's sort of... amazing. Is that when I started doing it, I had young kids. Yeah, and um, so I had an endless supply of toys of course yeah 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 and um <laughs> broken things well <laughs> so, it's a bit autobiographical then in that case isn't it yes work, it is you know? it really is and yeah. you know if my girls would come in the studio and help me mix plaster i'd cast their hands and put their hands in yeah oh that's cool so yeah, yeah. and then i'd write relevant things to that year and so yeah each one is a kind of two-dimensional aspect to it in the way that there'd be something else to look at on the surface as oh, well as the whole piece yeah it's great it's really i mean obviously i mean i love the other one we can talk all day about the different sort of the work that you do and you do your mosaics which you're actually doing i think something now as we're talking but you do your yeah. mosaics you do the wire drawings which of course you mentioned before which are which are wonderful works as well i absolutely love those um if we could talk about maybe just a couple of quick ones with regards to specific works that i can just sort of picked out and and you know I think maybe this this first one I think does have a bit of a story to it, so that's particularly why I've mentioned it, which is the Temple to Two Hundred Rabbits, um, which I think is oh, yeah. an early work. Um, can you sort of talk about that and how it came about? My um, because we have the farm in the south of France. Um, it's a vineyard, but also had a farmer there who used to keep rabbits. And yeah, one day he took me. I was only you know about twelve. He took me out into the um, into the garden and. To show me his rabbits and in this little tiny dark room and most of them were hopping around or looking very hot and uncomfortable some of them were dead some of them were mating I mean there were just loads of them in there and I was so shocked and he was yeah. so proud to show me and I was like oh this feels really kind of macabre in a way but um it was such a strong impression and it was a very very hot day there was a tiny little window up in this room with a, a shard of light coming through and it just stuck with me that vision of these rabbits and I for years I thought I really want to make something about that that memory and yeah. um I'd been doing a few drawings um and wanted to you know try and replicate the whole scene and then I went to Mexico when my girls were about three and, and five um so about 27 years ago and um is that right anyway and we stayed in this village called tepest lamb and at the top of the village right on the top of this hill there was a little um temple called temple to 200 rabbits okay and it looked like a pyramid shape three stories and it had no 
rabbits to be seen, but it was called Temple to the 200 Rabbits. And Tepas Lan apparently means God of Mild Drunkenness. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um, anyway, I thought I'd been thinking about how many rabbits I was going to make. And then I got there and I thought, oh, well, now I'm going to have to make 200. <laughs> um, so the next thing I did was make, I made a maquette of it there i was working i was there for three months and i made it in a in clay in the pottery there yeah and then once it dried they shipped it back for me amazingly and it didn't get broken god i've never seen anything packed so beautifully yeah, polystyrene yeah. cut out to every single oh wow piece of it um and so then when it got back i decided to make the life-size version so i made 200 um resin they're actually hairs, because that's what I have in my head is a vision of a hair. Course, yeah. but I call them rabbits because of the title. Yeah. But anyway, so it's very confusing for people. <laughs> um, so then I um, I wanted to replicate the, the atmosphere in that little dark room. Yeah. So I, whenever I've shown them inside, I have them in a big, dark, low ceiling room with no windows. Right. And I tend to put just enough light that, after a few minutes of standing there, you can um, acclimatize yep. and walk around. Wow. So they took up my whole storage. I was going to say, where are they? Where are they stored? <laughs> They're in my tennis court. <laughs> we weren't using the tennis court. So we oh, right. Okay. Perfect. Perfect place for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. Um, okay, Sophie. So now we'll talk about another piece, if that's okay. Uh, and the one that I have seen personally quite recently, which I think possibly was the first time that I've been exhibited in this country as well, is Dancing Hairs, which was this, this huge work. It's like quite central in, in location into the, in the piece hall. Um, can you talk about that work as well? It's such a sort of joyous, expressive work and everybody that saw it was like happy. And so, yeah, could you talk about that? Yeah. One? I mean, it's been a, a theme with my work, actually, that piece, uh, the, the three figures dancing. I've done it in several different mediums and ah, right, okay. scales. And now it's become the dancing ladies. Um, right. And again, I'm still with it. With, when I come up with an idea, I, I tend to thrash it out in every different type of material and scale before I've had enough. And then eventually I'll, I'll stop and I'll have finished. I'll have completed the, the journey for that piece. Right. Okay. Um, but it's been it is a very joyous piece and it is it one is. of my most popular pieces. Is it? Um, right, okay. I because can it's so accessible to everyone, you know, yeah. and everyone feels happy and there's there's nothing depressing about it. There's nothing too, you know, sort of sexual about it because That's, it's well that yeah. particularly that one because it's all animal, you know, so there's no naked bodies and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's just been it's a it is, as you say, a joyous piece. And funnily enough, I mean my my career goes back a long way, but um, for a few years when I started changing to be, you know, do the figures rather than the animals, I sort of wasn't interested in my earlier work. I was I didn't show it for a long time. I you know, so I had all these pieces and still have a lot of my older work that hasn't really been out there that much. Okay, and then. After a while, I thought, actually, these are pretty good. You know, I quite like these. So I've been showing a lot of the older work more recently because I did a lot of huge work. I had quite a few assistants who used to just, you know, mix plaster for me and, you know, had a sort of like a 
conveyor belt of people passing me plaster up to the <laughs> scaffolding to make those pieces. And I I worked for 16 hours a day every day. I mean, I, I just haven't stopped. So that's why there's so much that work yeah. out there. But with the bigger pieces, I always made them directly big. I mean, I didn't have help with scaling up or anything. I just... Yeah just make them i'd tie them to the ceilings and you know because i the structures were massive so yeah i'd just weld a very simple frame myself and then just tie them up to the ceiling of my studio they must be very physically demanding i'd imagine some of these i mean they're huge aren't they they, some are. of those works i mean yeah, they must they you are. must be drained when you think at the end of the day well i i would <laughs> and also the size and you'd have to stand back so you'd have to keep running down to have a look at them from a distance and yeah it's exhausting but yeah. it's nice, you know. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I love the yeah. um, the Halifax show. Like I say, I went. Um, we went a little while ago. I've been I've been twice now to to see it. The first time we went, we actually went. It was on Easter Sunday itself, and everything else was like oh, closed. Okay. Everything was closed on Easter Sunday, and and I said, I want to really want to go in it. And I rang them, and they said, Yeah, we're we're open. I was like, Oh, brilliant! So I went down, and um, it was amazing. It was a really sunny day, and I think your work kind of strangely in some way as well i don't know if this is if it's just the way it is made i've read this and i've seen images of it it kind of almost responds to the um to the weather your your work it really it does i think on different days and different weathers it sort of it does the moods that sort of can i mean i've seen photographs of the work in the snow and in different elements and things like that and it kind of has it brings in different meanings with the with the works themselves i think but it was a glorious yeah. sunny it was a sunny day you know, Peace Hall is is a really nice space, and it was very busy. Oh, amazing! People mill, milling around, and I think with with regards to you, obviously, I was th- I was thinking of this, and I thought when you go to sh- exhibitions and you go to the Peace Hall and you go and you're usually there for for a, a reason, whether you're giving a talk or you're doing or whatever, and you'll be shown around by various people and, and whatever but when i go when i went and i was just a normal person walking around and so i can see the most pure reaction to people of, of the seeing the works and it's absolutely incredible <laughs> you know the reaction to your work more than pretty much most other artists that i can think of because the response from people is so is kind of overweight so your work is so engaging i'm not just saying that to blow your trumpet but it just is because it's so present and you, you can't ignore these these things because it was in certainly the larger works i mean the the, the huge anyway so they sort of obviously that's your first sort of reaction to them but then they respond to people no matter what the age no matter if they're interested in art if they're not interested in art you know yeah. whatever these different responses in some way and i think that you've you've managed to achieve that is is incredible because no, i mean i, 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 I took I a like photograph that. of a child of, of took a photograph of you know the the, the crawling um hair pack, yeah and it was only afterwards that i looked at the photograph and now i'll tell you this whether this is actually okay or not i don't know but there was there were kids sat on the two front paws and there was another yeah. kid leaning on the back paw, and they were just like loving it you know li- yeah you know it was just uh it was amazing it was uh and i think no, that the i love the that- interaction i love love yeah. the fact that kids I, I i mean it's a shame that when obviously the wire pieces you can't have that kind of of course no no not with the wire pieces, yeah. them, but, um with the bronzes it does rub the patinas but i quite like it in a weird way you know okay. that you can see the the attention it's had when children yeah, yeah. have been stroking the little objects and they go oh, all shiny yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's no. It's I mean, great. I was there, and I was like it. looking at people, and they were sort of like picking things out and going, "Oh, look at the coins there! You've got like these like coins in the paws and things like that." Yeah, of them and things like that. And I, I mean, I'm and then I'm looking around the team. I saw I saw a, a spud gun, I think, in one of them, which I thought was brilliant. You know, probably yeah. <laughs> my my the piece I'm making at the moment in my studio. My grandsons came over the other day. I was roller skating around a sculpture that's in the middle of my studio. 
And right. the seven-year-old said to me, calls me Mimi, said, Mimi, what, why have you got my Pokemon dinosaur up there? Can I have it back, please? <laughs> and I said, no, you can have it back, but not yet, because I've got to make a mold first, and then you can have it back. And it just brought back memories of when my kids were little and I stole yeah. their Harry Potter toothbrush holder or whatever yeah. to put in a sculpture. Well, it's quite good, because yeah. it's, 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 um, it is it's sort of, like I mentioned before about like ready-made and things like that they're sort of like it's really interesting that as a sort of its own dynamic that you were bringing these works yeah. into your work it's i think you know and, and creating sort of a strange hybrid with your work as well it's a it's sort of it has its own little story i think of its own arc yes. as well you know it's quite interesting well also the fact that like i, I made some torsos once uh the big torsos that aren't 100 feet tall that you heard an article <laughs> they're, they're actually 12 feet tall and then um yeah. i made them in 2003 and um, just to give you an example, I've only just cast them this year um, right. because, you know, I make these big pieces, but I couldn't always afford to cast them. So I make yeah. the mold and have that. And then I can, you know, when I sell one or whatever, and I can yeah. then cast it because, um, you know, they cost the same as the house, these pieces to cast. Um, so I made that piece in plaster and that year I did a residency, well, a, a workshop actually at Mary Hare School for deaf kids. Okay. And they were 18-year-olds and they were doing their A-levels, art A-level. And so I'd been working with them for a week. And at the end of the week, I said, do you want to come to my studio and spend a few hours there and do some graffiti on this plaster that I've been doing? So mm-hmm. they all came back for the day and, and we, I let them write something on the sculpture and dig it into the plaster and um you know years later i um cast it and some of them didn't come out because they weren't deep enough and yeah yeah but then i also got a poet called aiden dunn who wrote some poetry about the sculpture and then he came and engraved his poetry into it oh, so they've all got there's loads of writing over them yeah, yeah they all have their own they're stories just, though. they're just being cut i mean i cast them in resin and I've right. got that in my park, but I've just I just sold one and cast it in bronze. So it's really nice finally that it's it's yeah. been cast. Been done. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's amazing. I mean, like I say, that the Halifax show um was a real treat and 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 I'm looking forward to whatever shows that you have on in the future as well. You know, um hopefully some more up north would be uh, be perfect. Yeah, I've got one coming up actually in um Nottingham. Oh, have you? All right. So that's not far, is that's it? That's not far. So no, that, no, that's good. That's going to be um, at the Ginobili Gallery in um, okay. Nottingham right. in November. I think it's November to February or something like that. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll look out for that. That sounds, uh, that sounds good. And then there's one in um, Woking at the Lightbox Theatre in uh, 2023. Right, okay. When I turn 60, which right. sounds really scary, but... Um, so it's kind of 60th birthday exhibition. <laughs> you st- you've always you keep yourself fit, don't you? you? Love running, don't you? You love running. Yeah, you, I, I run. I don't do marathons anymore because I've proved to myself that I can do one, so I don't need to do any more. <laughs> and you get so badly injured all the time when you're training for a marathon. That right. I like running too much, so yeah, yeah. I tend to not do the marathons. I just run with my dogs. Yeah, yeah. More so in France, we run in the forest in France, but. I keep fit. I swim every day, two kilometers every morning. Yeah, that's amazing. No, so, that's very, very good. Say, why do you do so much exercise when your work keeps you so fit? <laughs> but it's, 
it kind of works together you know you have to keep fit to do what i do of course yeah so. yeah yeah because it is very physical sort of the work that you're doing yeah. um i mean that show the so the show the um at the um at halifax that'll be, i know it's coming down soon that um i'd imagine when it does come down because It'll be like somebody taking the Christmas decorations down at home, I think, in, yeah. the, in the Peace Hall. It will be strange for the Peace Hall, I think, just the staff there and the people because, because um, you know, sort of the sculptures themselves dotted around in that sort of, it'll kind of have that feeling of, where they all gone? <laughs> we want to... I know. Do you know what? When we when we first went to see Peace Hall before COVID, yeah. I thought, oh, my God, this place is enormous. How am I? Oh, it's, yeah. I haven't got anything that's big <laughs> enough to go here. It's just going to make everything look like, that tiny little baby toy yeah. you know <laughs> and um then covid happened and then we went back this year to have a look just before putting the show up and um i thought actually it's they they put more stuff there you know like yeah yeah and yeah so i thought actually it's not that yeah. bad anymore it, it doesn't look too it brings big. it in a bit yeah and then and then i brought the work there and it just fitted it just looked right it looks great. I love the little rooms as well with the with the paintings yeah. and the works and stuff that you've got there. Uh, but it's such a beautiful place. My God, I mean, the people there have been so lovely, and people from up north are just so direct. You know, people say exactly <laughs> what they what they they feel. You know, there's no messing about. It's like yeah. if they like it, they're going to tell you. Yeah, yeah. And um, they're just really. They love it, and I think they're over the moon like, with it. They, 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 yeah. I think they, uh, I think they're really thrilled, and they're really sort of happy that you, you, you know, you did it. Um, and they, yeah. and they, they work so well there in that environment because, of course, I've seen they them do. in the landscape. I've seen them in, you know, in the sculpture park and whatnot. But then seeing them in that with the buildings, it's like a scene from um, from a Sinbad film or something. And I keep expecting yeah. them to like come alive or something. You know, it's um, it sort of it well, seems it, to... it just. Feel, I love my work in an urban setting. Right, actually, I always have done. I mean, I know people think oh they're animals but you know obviously they're not really and they look right in an urban setting to me just as yeah. good as they look in a in a natural setting definitely no it suits so this they work really well i think i managed to get a yeah. copy of the book as well which while i was there which was there, there was about three copies left of the signed book and i think so i, oh, managed, right. so I managed to catch just oh. the <laughs> i don't know how many you did yeah. but there wasn't many left when i went so um oh i should have signed more all oh, right no no i think i was very i was lucky to get one so yeah i was i was very oh, happy good. with that um so yeah so it's got one final well a couple of final things really um one is that with regards to your characters i know moving on to different characters a more recent one has been the boar i think have you got any others in mind or yeah. is that sort of is that well, where you people are at the always i i'm never looking for characters you know i'm not thinking oh what shall i do next no it no comes no. naturally but people have always said to me have you ever thought about doing a pig or anything and i said no it's never occurred to me never been at all interested because I don't really do animals as for animals' sake, if you know what I mean. So yeah. And then one year I was in the south of France, and the boars there—they eat a lot, thirty percent of the, the grapes. So people are really desperate to get rid of them. Right. Um. So they do get shot, and they go. You know, they're hunted. And um, I found one in a, dead in a vine, in a vineyard. You know, just lying there, and it was so amazing i felt like my god this doesn't look like it should belong now this looked like a prehistoric animal yeah the head was just so vast and it, in fact the head was the same size almost as the body such a beautiful animal um and i just i immediately felt like i had to do something so yeah. it was just it just happened you know and i've only done two sculptures with them 
and a few okay. drawings and smaller pieces. But I, I definitely want to do more. Yeah, yeah. Really, good. Really, no. I love the shape. I love the feeling. Yeah. I love the the characters. I mean, pigs are unbelievably human in their intelligence, and and I, that's important for me too. Yeah. Um, no, it's good. I know. I'm just trying to think. Uh, other, th- I mean, other things that have happened sort of more more recently. You, you, um, the the Minotaur and Hairbench has gone into. Is it Wood Wharf? I think in London has has it gone has in it, Canary what? Wharf. Yeah. In Canary Wharf, there. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite yeah, nice. I, lo- I love selection. that little child's bench that you've made next to it. That's great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> funnily enough, when I first made the Minotaur and Hair before it got it sent to Cheltenham and it stayed in Cheltenham, the first yeah. cast, it actually went to Canary Wharf. Right. So, way before, as it had just been made, it was installed there for an exhibition. Ah, right. So years later, they asked for it back, and the little bench was because the place where it's been installed is in the place where they read stories to children. Yeah. So I said, well, why don't I make a little bench the same as the bench that the Minotaur and Hare are sitting on, that the children can sit on? So I'd mm-hmm. copied my bench in miniature for little people to sit on. And I put funny objects in it, like little things for them to play with and look at. And I put, I cast um, a mobile phone and a few coins and I put them flat on the bench. So it looks like they're just on there. So when, when they're rubbed by the kids, they'll, they'll start looking like real coins and things that they'll be trying to pick them off. (laughs) But it's actually cast into the, into the bench. Yeah, that's clever. No, I like that. That's very nice. It's it's nice to get work, I suppose, in public spaces, isn't it, as well, you know? Yeah, no, it's great. And getting reactions. so nice. I mean, in England, we don't have enough of that. In Europe, you know, there's sculpture everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Every town. In Pietro Santo, where I also cast bronzes, it's in Italy near Carrara. There is sculpture on every street corner. Is there? You know, yeah. Yeah, not over just, here. It's just normal. You know, it's yeah, just yeah. a normal thing to have. Right. It's not. It's not anything, to, <clears throat> and they don't get vandalized. Um, that's the. That's the concern, so isn't it? More. Of course, it's the. It's yeah. getting. It's things getting vandalized. That's the. That can be. Yeah. Um, that's the problem, isn't it? I suppose in in many yeah. ways. Um, but yeah, but it's uh, amazing to speak to you today, Sophie. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been. Um, it's, it was funny because it was when we was when I was actually at the. Um, uh, the Halifax exhibition for the first time I'd messaged you not long before that exhibition to ask you about the podcast and everything and it was just so strange I was in I was in the um one of the rooms there at the uh at the piece hall looking at your literally looking at you I think one of the dogs actually one of the drawings of the dogs and my phone pinged and it was a message from you it was like <laughs> saying uh, yes you know and we sort of like agreed and everything to do the to do the to do the podcast and it was just kind of so I actually took a selfie of myself to sort of show you that I wasn't just lying I I'm remember like, I'm actually at your that. show now right now it's so funny yeah it's like surreal yeah but there you go but but it's so I think it was meant to be to be honest with you eventually this this podcast yeah. has come to you via um a trip to Italy um to, yeah. <laughs> some, some technical things <laughs> well that trip to Italy was so last minute and then I thought there isn't anything happening is there is there I can't <laughs> no, remember no. it was the only ticket left and I thought okay I'm going I'm going no it's brilliant Where, whereabouts in Italy is it where do you go is she's it... in Milan Milan so, oh wow very yeah. nice yeah yeah very nice I went to see some mosaic floors in fact I went to a studio there mosaic studio right I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know who who the guy was or anything I just googled mosaic all right Milan and I went there 
And I've taught myself to speak Italian because I use the boundary in Italy, so I speak fluent Italian now. Oh, it's quite useful. Um, and I went to this guy's studio, and he was in his 70s, and he'd been doing mosaics for like 50 years. And it was so incredible. I, was, I only just made it my flight from having gone there, my flight back to England. But he had a studio full of mosaics and full of mosaic pieces it was like a sweetie shop it was oh, just wow. once you get hooked on something like mosaic or tapestry or whatever yeah, which yeah. I, I get kind of obsessive about things you get oh just seeing these like boxes and boxes of beautiful marble oh, wow. i and you know every single color under the sun and right. he said he used to have assistants like 10 assistants really he was just on his own now because he's retired. He said, I still work because I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he didn't have any assistance anymore. But he's done mosaics for cathedrals and so, wow. for Giorgio Marmani and for, oh, amazing. Well, you, you just turned up. You just turned up. I just, just turned up and I didn't really know what to say because I, like, you don't just turn. I, I thought it was like a, a factory more yeah, yeah. You know, where they were making commissions for people. But it probably was a while ago, but it was just him. And all these, all these tables with mosaics on. And he was so generous with his information. And oh, that's lovely. I said, oh, I do mosaics too. And I felt a bit embarrassed saying it because his was so much more professional than mine. I mean, mine are artistic and all that, but his are just like absolutely perfect, beautiful mosaics. Yeah. Um, really, you know, he'd been to university to study because in Italy, if you do something like that, you can't be labelled as a mosaic artist unless you've been at university studying it. You know, right. you have to get taught. Yeah, yeah. And so he said, "So where did you train to do mosaics?" And I said, "I didn't. I taught myself." <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, okay." And then I tried to show him my mosaics, thinking, you know, slightly embarrassed at showing <laughs> mine. And and he kind of looked for two seconds and then looked away and carried on talking. He was so not interested in looking at my mosaics. It was quite funny because obviously I was doing them all kind of wrong. And he said, oh, are you doing them in such large scale on a piece of paper like that? And I was like, oh, God. Really embarrassing. Oh, that's but I learned a lot. Story. I bet it was yeah. worth going for that, wasn't it? Just to go and see it. It was worth going. Yeah, yeah. it was great. Well done, well done. Right, well, I'll let you I'll let you crack on now, Sophie, with your uh, okay. with your mosaics and uh, and Thank whatever you. else you're doing this weekend. It's been uh, it's been amazing. Thank you. Nice talking to you. It's been brilliant, and uh, yeah, and um, hopefully I'll you know I'll see see you soon, and I'll definitely I'll try yeah. and get to the show in Nottingham. I don't know if there's going to be a preview yeah, or anything like that. Um, no, I'm sure there will be, but I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, keep me posted, and uh, yeah, okay. all right, um, we'll uh, take care, and we'll speak soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. All the best. Thanks. Bye. 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 I hope that you enjoyed that episode. You might have worked out that the interview was recorded just prior to Sophie's Peace Hall exhibition finishing. Well, it has finished now, but I'll keep you posted on the Northern Art social media pages for any future shows, especially the upcoming Nottingham exhibition we talked about. Sophie is on Instagram, so give her a follow on there too. Search for Sophie Ryder Artist. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. As usual, I'll post some images relating to the episode on the Northern Art Facebook page and on the Instagram page too. Any likes, comments, shares, messages, follows, anything like that is very much appreciated. You can also subscribe to the channel on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, and then you won't miss out on any episodes I upload in the future. 